Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. Hello, I'm Patty Markham-Peterson, and I often use that maiden name in there because there's just too many Patty Petersons in this world. (laughs) And I am the mother of this amazing woman doing Wise Woman Diaries. She was my thirdborn. I am first of all, a firstborn of 13 kids. And I went on to have six. And that's a whole story in itself why all the numbers. (laughs) And um, another things about me are, ever since I was a child, I knew I was a healer, or I just was gravitating toward um, healing. I had nurse and doctor kits. And there's always I was going to be a doctor or nurse. And uh, fast forward, you know, 18 years later, I did go to college to be a nurse. And then through that, for many years, um, became disillusioned and went into holistic healing fields in the 90s. And we can go back to that in a minute. However, the piece I wanted to say is there's parts of us that we've, we're so connected to as children. And we... And I see that even with my kids when they go back and see some of their old notes that they wrote in first grade and they go, oh my gosh, it took me a while to get to this career, but that's what I wrote about way back then. And, um, and so I'm, I'm a firstborn, I'm a Capricorn. So we're those diligent, hardworking. And then I had these six children. And one of the biggest defining moments of my life was their father, my husband of 18 years, dying suddenly in a car accident. And so I was 41 and I had these six children from seven to 17. And I loved marriage. We had a good marriage. We were best friends. And of course we were quite busy raising our children. And he, but he supported me in starting my holistic business in the nineties. And part of what spurred us into that was, um, my daughter Leah here and some of her health things and and me just starting then to have some interesting dreams and wanting to learn about dreams at nighttime, what they symbolized and also intuition. And that was just starting to open up back then. And then that's a big piece of what we're going to go into here is how that evolved over these last 21 years. I I definitely just am an inquisitive, <laughs> Leah comes by it, um, through through me in some ways, I believe, and wanting to learn all the time. I'm I'm never not learning. I'm always taking courses, and she even opens my eyes to other things. And with that, then how I work nowadays has shifted and changed 
continually. And yet it's, it's ever evolving and it's lifting and consciousness is a big piece. I want people to understand who they really are beyond this mind, this body, and this personality. That's what I learned through their father learned, dying young, crashing my world as I knew it. I was in a very um, fundamentalist Christian religion at the time, and I started to question everything by the experiences I started to have. It just opened me and going, wait, how can this be true if this is what I'm seeing, knowing, and believing? And what's experiencing, I guess. And, and, and a part of what defined me also in the healing I do and the work I help people with is um, old traumas. What, what did we take on that um, contribute to you know, health issues, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical? And, and one of mine was when I was cracked open after their father died, my husband died, I, I remembered um, some sexual abuse uh, perpetration uh, by an uncle. And, um, and it took quite a bit of work to work through that, that I had stuffed down. And interestingly, although my late husband was alive, I had uterine vaginal symptoms that were festering and didn't understand at the time what all was behind that. And so that's um, been many layers of healing all of that. And, and so the, these old traumas, um, that how did they define us? You know, I knew intuitively this man, um, gave me what I call the heebie-jeebies, you know, like that stomach doesn't feel safe. Some people say, oh, the hair standing on my, on, you know, on end on my arms, whatever that sense was, I knew I had that yet nobody validated that. As the story started to break out and I, we start hearing this, some of the adults knew and yet we were not protected, some, some of my cousins and I. And so then there's another whole piece of healing around that. Why did the other adults not keep us safe? And so I see a lot of women and men in my practice as a holistic, medical, intuitive, quantum healer, spiritual life coach that have some of these themes that I did because I believe will resonate, right, as, as our energy with those type, if you know, so I see a lot of people that um, are healing through grief and loss and and sexual abuse and 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 what what kind what beliefs and fears did that instill in us really young? And where we put up protective barriers, where we never felt good enough, um, or trying to hide, you didn't want to you know people to really see you maybe, and yet didn't feel heard because I suffered from a lot of throat infections at that time too. So apparently there was something festering my truth chakra. And so all of that, um, you know, are pieces of what make, um, add to our personality self and maybe um, some of our soul, old soul fractures that can be healed. And I believe almost anything can heal you know, through energy, through consciousness, through lifting that we're divine beings in this human form to remember that wholeness, to live that wholeness for, for the higher good of all. As each one of us heals something, then it benefits beyond, way beyond just our own self. I became really interested in intu intuition, intuitive knowing, 
more so as I was raising my children. I, I don't know that I was very aware during my teens, you know, the early 20s. I know that everybody has intuitive knowing. We all do, especially as children. And yet what turns that off? You know, some will call it our sixth sense. And how each one of us picks up our intuition can be different. And how it was for me before was very much a feeler, clairsentient. And then I've developed my clairvoyance. I see, and then I hear sometimes a clairaudience. But, you know, I, I think back about those, my babies started coming in um, 1985 and 87, and then Leo was born in 88. And, um, and then the boys after that. And it was when I believe Leo was around four. And I started, because, yeah, Mitch would have been two, Dylan born. Yes, it was right around that time when you were starting to have these ear infections. And the doctors, I I had a beautiful family practice doctor I loved. And um, he listened to me. He allowed me to have questions and and things. And yet, you know, when I'd say... um, could foods or other things, what could be contributing to these ear infections? Why would she have them? The other kids haven't. And I don't think we should have antibiotics. And and so when they just thought I was kind of silly and they wanted to put ear tubes, I started to research a little more and, and talking to people. And then, of course, you know, trust God in the universe. People start showing up in my path. And and I found out about a naturopath in Minneapolis. So we drove six hours to Minneapolis to talk to him. And he, you know, and it was um, just enlightening about the whole body, not just the ears, you know, not all segmented like traditional medical tended to be. And this was actually, interestingly, in the late 90s. No, not quite yet. Okay. When, you know, I was finding I was still working as a nurse and getting frustrated with handing a pile of pills to an elderly person saying, but we don't know how all these interact. It was just starting to bother my stomach. And I just was having a harder time doing that. And, and so I, I was starting to research and read more about nutrition, eating healthier, because prior to that, you know, in our culture, we grew up um, eating quite a bit of sugar, home-baked goods. I mean, we are big bakers, us Finnish <laughs> women, and, um, and, and, and yet I never, you know, lived on junk food by any stretch, but I, I started then going real big into more of the whole wheat grain, whole grains and, you know, getting the, stop the baking and getting things out, um, took Leah off a dairy at the time. And I, I did that with her and I noticed that I felt better when I didn't do dairy, traditional dairy at the time. And, and, and then it's, then the other things that were coming in were, you know, the, the childhood vaccinations and going there and I could just feel this sense in me that, this doesn't feel right, even though I'm in this medical field. And prior to that, um, I pretty much swallowed other beliefs, hook, line, and sinker, because I remember as a new nurse thinking mom and dad were a little crazy going to a chiropractor. And yet my mom, you know, she was open to some of those things. And she was big into the Shackley vitamins and supplements way back. And so were my in-laws, you know, and um, and I thought, well, you know, that was all <laughs> telling my grandmother to get off good butter and, and have ugly margarine, you know? because that's what I learned as a nurse. And so it was really fascinating that um, then I started shifting, you know, out of what they taught me, which wasn't a whole lot in nursing school about nutrition and, um, and, and researching and reading. And back then we didn't have the internet. 
we, you know, it was through a flyer in a newspaper from um, Minneapolis was rich with more holistic healing at the time, alternative healing, more so than lower Michigan. You know, I live in upper Michigan. And, um, and so I would see resources there and I'd order books and order books. And I started then reading about vaccines because it was getting hard to go and bring my kids there. And then I told my husband, he needs to bring them because I couldn't. <laughs> and, you know, people would say, well, they can't go to school. And I'm going, is this really true? You know, um, and that's such a good lesson always, you know, do I just swallow these truths or do I listen and feel what feels right here? Or is it fear driving me or is this just a knowing? And, um, and so I started reading and I remember <laughs> I'd be up late at night and my husband would say, when are you coming to bed? And I'm like, I can't sleep. I feel damned if I do and damned if I don't <laughs> about vaccines. It was hard. Nobody I knew other than actually I found out later a beautiful hippie down the road became a dear friend. She was my only person in the early days of my awakening consciousness I could talk to. <laughs> and um, she did home births even with her twins and didn't vaccinate. And so I thought, okay, I need to start picking the brains of these people. And um, and so. I I started, I had to trust, despite what my old medical profession said, despite what some people said about going to school, that wasn't true. I could get in exemptions in Michigan. And and so um, each child, you know, got less and less. Like my fifth child maybe had one or two um, series, and then my baby never had any vaccines. And he was by far the healthiest child of us all. He never saw a doctor until he was in his senior year of high school playing football and he broke his collarbone twice. <laughs> and then he's my only child that went into medical field. And then, you know, he's in college and they're saying, oh, to work in the medical field, you do need a few of these. And, um, you know, and, and I'm not going to sit here and say they're all bad and wrong, just what is right for you and the situation at that time. And what's our consciousness, you know, as far as when we get it, you know, how it's like not fear, fear based, but if you feel that this is going to enhance me and all of that is energy, everything is energy and how all that comes together now, you know, so often we can swing, you know, the pendulum far one way and then the other way and until we find that center balance of, of who, um, who we are and what's right for us in that moment. And, and so this developing, you know, intuition, mother's intuition, you know, I believe the children help bring that out for me. Um, and, and, you know, there's, and it was right around, this was, um, yeah, around the late nineties then as I was, you know, trying to eat healthier and let go of all those things, I let go of traditional nursing and I started into my holistic healing, doing a system called electrodermal screening, which helped people detox and find, you know, what was blocking their meridians and their energy field. And that was a good door opener for me that eventually kept evolving then into the emotions. And then when my husband died suddenly, then the whole spiritual realm is the, the, the biggest piece that opened for me. Um, one big pivotal point is I remember getting books on intuition and books on dreams because I had had a few. And a big one was um, sometime, I, it was sometime in the spring of 2002, I woke up and I, I had a very dark dream. It did feel dark. It felt 
I mean, I woke up with emotions, with a feeling of sadness that I was going to be alone. And I remember even saying it to my late husband. I'm like, oh, that didn't feel good. I, I saw myself being alone in life. And, and he kind of just, just a dream, just a dream. And he runs off to work. And, and, um, and I remember walking into the kitchen. And, and then at the time, my third child, Leah, was 13, I believe, or 12, um, turning somewhere in that range. And, um, and she says, Mom, I had a dream. Daddy died last night. And, and, and in that moment, there was like this big wind taken out of me. I doubled over. And it's like something on some level just felt too true. And I, there's no way that I wanted to even go there, I, to even contemplate that that could happen. But, but me having the dream and her having that dream on the same night just felt where you can't ignore it. That's what I sensed. So I ran off to my dear friend, who was also a massage therapist, the one I said, you know, was quite open. And she would say, a death dream doesn't mean a physical death. It's more, it can be a piece of his personality, an aspect of his life. And, and it took a long time for me to calm down, but I did. I did. And I let that go. And then, you know, I, I never know the date, hey, Leah, how long it was. And then that pivotal day on July 10th of 2002, and the state trooper walks into my healing space. I had a, we had an office building at the time, and he looks at me, Patricia Peterson. I'm like, yeah. And my first flash again was, ooh, something happened to my oldest son who was working um, um, at that in the summer between his high school years. And then he said, your husband was killed. And um, apparently, I was told by people around me that I went screaming out in the parking lot saying, I knew this was going to happen. And, you know, I, and, and then I fainted. I passed out. So, um, so I do feel on some levels, uh, you know, we have big things to walk through in this life on a soul level for us to remember who we are. And, um, and maybe um, on some level, we're a little bit being prepared. You know, that's always been a question. You know, there's no exact right or wrong. And yet not to live our life from fear that we savor every moment, you know, and since then there's been a lot of loss and death around me, you know, three nephews, my parents, dear friends. Um, and so that I've been able to have a different view and um, because of everything, and that took years uh, processing through the loss of the love of my life. Yeah, let's touch on the PTSD we kind of feel now where we both had a dream in the past year of someone dying again mm -hmm. on the same night, me and you, same thing. Yes. And like I started bawling. I yeah. I spiraled and and it's because of our past experience is that it was true, but we've now right. had to rework the gift of dreams and sometimes I, okay sometimes they're your psyche just working out stuff and sometimes they're spiritual real dreams and then here's this other piece that i don't know a lot about and yet <laughs> is a reality is is there's many realities there's many you know we i i do cosmic life regressions they are past lives and yet some say they're simultaneous there's all these potentialities and that 
you know, we're especially now with the shifts on the planet. And so maybe some of these dreams are something happening on one of these other potentialities and one of these other. And so that did knock the wind out of my sail, so to speak, when we had that. And yet I knew immediately to sit with this and take the fear out and um, ask at that time for deeper guidance on what this might mean, what, how do I approach this? Um, can we help shift this? You know, I always believe in a dream too. If we're meant to like help or shift some potential, we'll be given that guidance. And I heard this from so many mentors and teachers and healers, right? Because so many even had these dreams the nights before 9-11. And, um, and so if we get guidance to do something, then pay attention to that intuitive knowing that dream message, right? And so this last time I felt like, um, yeah, I was able to process through it with less fear, even though there were remnants absolutely of PTSD, you know, and I do things like um, EFT and what else can we do to unwind those pieces that there are layers in all of us, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was bits of trauma from receiving premonition of events to come, and so, so this, this time when it, when it happened, we're like, okay, how do we want to handle this? Because we didn't have the consciousness, the awareness to handle it 25 years ago, whenever dad died. But so now this time mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, I was given this information. Now I'm absolutely going to be so present with this person. I'm absolutely going to be, because death is a gift. When, when just the, just the notion of death enters the picture, you are in your heart center. You are living in love just by the notion of death. And that is a gift. And you also decided to, I think, tell this person just because you felt like it could be your responsibility for them to like drive without texting, pay attention when you're driving. There was that piece of it. You're right. You're triggering my memory. To, to, to remind her to not be distracted when she's driving, to really pay attention to this person. And um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, if there's something we can do like that to, without being too fear-based, but yet let's be present. There's so many layers. That's my piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it can it can be just a recycling of a trauma pattern that we now right. can heal that PTSD. Trusting, you know, that divine plan to that divine, whew, that's not always easy when we're as a human really suffering from the physical absence of somebody we dearly love. And, um, and it took me I mean, I did my best. I would try to be present with my children. I am, I went to grief support groups. I read everything on grief. I helped facilitate grief then later years and grief support. And, um, and there were so many layers to my loss, I guess, find my acceptance. I don't know if you've talked about the, the stages of grief, Leah, and some of your stuff, you know, right. But at the end, they talk about this acceptance and and it takes whatever it takes, you know, and yet you think, oh, I'm here. And then you'll find another piece, another layer. And I know for he and I, um, part of that soul contract, my belief, you know, was he woke me up by his gone, by him leaving and then visiting me in spirit and giving me messages. He helped me to open up to who I really am. 
And, and, and then I found, you know, so many other lifetimes where we were together and, um, and when one left the planet, the other one did, you know, and we were very bonded. And so that's why I think it was really hard for me to keep going at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's speak to that. It's where him dying obviously changed the entire trajectory of your entire life. But yes, years later, you see how it was for you. And how his passing, his death, was a freedom to you. He liberated your authentic self, your soul. He he smashed everything to pieces. Him leaving smashed your whole world Mm -hmm. for you to find yourself. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and you know, after... I, uh, 63 years on this planet and talking to a lot of people and <laughs> learning from so many beautiful teachers and masters and mentors. It's, it is so often through things like that, that we do find the gift, right? Through the traumas, through the big, like, I, I, I know somebody who was worth 22 million and lost it all. And on, he says, he goes, big egos have to fall hard. He said, that was the only way I could find my spiritual self, my true self. And, um, and at the time, he was almost suicidal when he lost it, of course, right? You know, and there was that part to me, too. I'd lay on the floor and say, I might as well just go. I can't live without him. How can I raise six children, right? And yet I'd go, but my children need to, one parent, they need one. So my children kept me going. And and then I started opening, you know, I felt angels holding me. I found God in 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 so many different ways. And and then my dear husband would show up with a message and I could smell him and feel him and taste him. And, and as wonderful as that was to feel it, it was sometimes heartbreaking to go, but I want to touch you and you're not, I can't, you know. And and yet my old religion would say they're dead in the ground till judgment day. And I'd go, no, 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 he's somewhere. What is this heaven? Where Where is that, you know? And um, and so I started a deep, deep, deep quest and um and that's how i see it now is yeah it that that was a beautiful contract we had together for me in this lifetime remember the divine being in this human form that i am to live that truth and in each one of us living the truth another can open up and it wasn't without its hardships and challenges and yet the joy and the oh my gosh that comes with that you, you just yeah i want to I want to know how you were explaining him coming to you in dreams, or I think you even saw his spirit when your eyes were open one time. So coming from this religious background, how were you kind of reckoning with that? Yeah. You know, well, the first, it's still, you know, um, when something's really profound, it can stay in our, our memory a little more. And and it's the way I remember anyway. But it took a couple nights for me to sleep. I wasn't able to sleep those first nights after the, the shock. You're just such shock. And and here to add to my type of grief um, and loss was I didn't see a body and I never saw the car. See, he was out of town and they, they said he was too mash, messed up to show in a coffin. I mean, now my belief is we usually should see something, his hand, something. And that wasn't offered to me at the time. He just disappeared. He went off and he was gone. And I, and that's not like other people. I have a friend who lost her husband to the sea 
and she never saw a body either or a boat or anything, you know? So, um, anyway, um, that, you know, for anybody listening, those types of losses can be a little more complicated grief, take a little more time anyway. Um, and, and it was about that third night I started to doze and he, I, all of a sudden I heard him, it was his voice. And he said, I will never leave you. I am always with you. And I could smell him, you know, and, um, and that's one of the ways some of us get a message from my father and my sister. And some of us is we smell his smoke. He was a smoker. And my <laughs> husband we have our own smell and I could smell him. I could hear him. And his essence was there so strong. I jumped up and I literally started running around the house looking, you know, because it was that real. And, um, and so after that, then I would mostly, it was a feeling I slept with his, you know, I, uh, his t-shirts for a while, as I believe Leah did, you know, and I tell any people that lose a, a loved one that passes, um, that gives you comfort to have their smell. Don't wash everything. Keep some of their old smell and things. And, you know, and, and I could feel him wrap around me as I laid in the bed. Um, and, and then dreams, he, he started visiting many of my friends and family and in very vivid, very, they'd say, it was like he was there and his bright, bright blue eyes would shine. And, and so, you know, many siblings and loved ones around me started to open to just more possibilities, not our same rigid value or belief that we had just taken on from perhaps our culture and our parents without our own experiences to develop our own knowing. And so that's, um, and then, you know, it, as years went on and and I was trying to date and still comparing everybody to him, (laughs) he literally, one time I heard him say, you need to be moving on. It was like, and it literally felt like a kick in the butt. You, know? <laughs> you need to move on. You need to be happy. You need to find, you know, do not me, but you know, just go on. I, you know, he's fine. And, and, um, and that's been another whole journey and topic on its own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How often does he visit you now? I'm curious. No, it's rare. It is very rare, you know? Um, and same with, um, like in the early days after his loss, after he transitioned, my grandfather would still come around and my great aunt, who was very um, um, oh, spiritual. You know, she did Reiki and she was my great aunt. And um, they were around back then, but they never come anymore. So my personal belief um, is they, you know, our souls have their own journey and they're not floating around us all the time. You know, they've got to move on to wherever else, whether it's another planet, whether it's another dimension or reincarnating perhaps in our, in our lineage or somewhere else for their soul's journey. And so I rarely, rarely get anything from Glenn anymore. Or, um, like I said, my grandpa or great aunt, um, I never did much for my mother, my father on occasion, but not like the early years after he died, um, about 10 years ago too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting with dreams because they're such a comfort when you're in them. But then when you wake up, you remember your nightmare of your life. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That was my only comfort in those, those early months, year to sleep. And I don't have to remember all the pain of my current life, you know, in front of me. Yes. Oh yeah. To wake up and then just go, oh no, I got to face another day. Oh yeah. I really, really encourage people to get support through those times. 
Yeah, because when you're in the deepest grief of your life, whether it's divorce or death, you know, they can feel very similar. Just Absolutely. living, just getting up and living in a day is courageous. Right, right. Yes, yes. And um, and I learned, and it's still, of course, a big practice, but um, especially with grief, you know, you can't look ahead. Like, you know, you look ahead to a holiday or going, oh, how am I going to do that? I'm looking ahead. My kid's got to go to college. No, how am I going to do it? No, back right to this moment. In this moment, right now, just breathe. Sit here, breathe. And um, yeah, it seemed whenever I could stop that, and sometimes it was the only thing I could do is sleep. And then you wake up and you feel a little different, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I want you to speak on when you would be with other widows, because what was really hard for you was being surrounded by all your couple friends and you were the single person now and things were so different. Mm -hmm. And so you found widow friends, but you saw variations in your widow friends. Right, right. So when your life changes, divorce, death, um, and all the old friends, you, you know, I tried going out with our couple friends that we had, and, and it was so miserable. I was, I was miserable. They were wonderful. I was miserable because it made it so much more evident that my partner was not there with all couples around the table. And, and I left, I remember leaving early saying, I'm sorry, you know, I cannot do this. And, um, even with my siblings, you know, I have this 12 siblings and they all have their partners and, and, um, and I'm, you know, it took years to feel okay being the only single one there, but that even took a long time. And so it's not like I myself, you know, on a Sunday afternoons were hard. Anybody going through loss um, on Sundays, like family days is tough. And it's like, do I want to go sit with another couple? Because then it just makes me mad and angry and jealous, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I knew I needed to start finding single friends. And I, I felt that would be best. And, and a couple widow friends back then that had actually remarried were phenomenal for me to help me believe in a happier future. There were some that I could call in the middle of the night. And then there were some others that stayed very angry and bitter that their husband died or their wife. And I started to see and witness that. And I go, ooh, I don't want that legacy, <laughs> you know, for my kids to have this angry mother. Um, and so I really couldn't be around that either. I mean, believe me, anger is a part of grief and loss. It's a big stage I had a lot of it <laughs> and it's good to voice it in a safe manner so it doesn't come out sideways and hurt people we love and um, to recognize it's valid. I was pissed. I'd go in the woods and stomp and scream to God and, um, and it, and you know, in time that simmers with, as we can find the gifts and the um, lessons and the acceptance. And so little by little, I started to find single friends and most of my single friends um, were divorced. And um, so we could share on, you know, single parenting. And I remember having Thanksgivings with a couple other single moms and their children. And, um, and that helped. I, we need to have support that feels good for us, that we're not feeling that we're out of place. And that remains to this day. I mean, now, of course, I have darling couple friends, and that's great. And I, now I can look at it and say, that's for me. You know, the good relationships, that's for me. 
not, you know, be seething with jealousy and irate that why did my husband have to leave when he's only 38 years old, you know? (laughs) Yeah, something that just popped into my head that I kind of want to address, which is not deeper spiritual, but, but very realistic is that we never plan for divorce or death. And yet it happens to some of us and a lot of us. And mm-hmm. there's realities of that that are really hard, like finances, credit card situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to know if there's anything that you want to tell anyone that's living through that or just to prepare. It, it's never pre- pre- preparation in fear, but it's just it's right. just living in reality that we are mortal. We will right. die. And so just living in that reality that you know, it can happen. Yes, that that's a good point, Leah. You know, I, we were camping that 4th of July weekend down at McLean's, remember? And um, so that was just days before your dad died. And and he went off with a couple of his buddies to his school reunion. And he was gone and it was getting dinner time. And one of my girlfriends was there with her kids, you know, and and the the grill was there. And I'm like, I can't make, I don't know how to use that grill. I can't make dinner. <laughs> Until Glenn gets back, you know, and it was just kind of funny because there's certain a lot of things he did, you know, and and that's just a funny little simple thing. But um, you know, then after he passed, and we wake up really cold that winter and going, oh yeah, the propane tank is empty, and we don't, you know, our furnace can't run. Well, I never took care of filling propane tank, right? <laughs> um, insurance, car insurance, house insurance, he took care of that. You know, we took turns with the traditional bills, but there's certain things I never wanted to pay attention to. And yet I do encourage all couples not leave it all in one's hands. You know, how about nowadays with all the passwords and, you know, make sure each one knows. Um, You know, I see some, you know, especially the generation above me, some of the men um, when their wives die first who who never had to operate you know um, you know in the kitchen or the laundry and and granted there's always somebody that can help of course at some point but yet um, I think it's wise to know you know where all these where the passwords are and how to use and what's involved as much as you can and I tell young people do get life insurance I'm so grateful your father did. And interestingly, he had felt um, he was in the process of getting another policy. Um, I found that on the desk uh, when he died. Uh, We never did, which would have been great and um, would have been much more helpful. And, you know, things like that. Um, I just think don't leave everything and be clueless if you want to be able to. you know, yeah. move ahead in some way when the, when the, especially when you're in shock. Thankfully, you know, I had eight brothers, each one had different skills and talents and they were there when the furnace went out. And one was a banker who helped me, you know, that first year with all the paper processing. I don't know how people do that in the shock, you know, when you have to start submitting all these death certificates and, you know, um, so having somebody that can support for a lot of that too. And I just couldn't even see straight. I couldn't, I don't know how somebody can do that in the grief. Wow. Your your story is just so incredible because because you could have chosen to be so angry and pissed for the rest of your life. I remember early on, um, somebody 
handed me a book about a near-death experience. Um, something about the light. Do you remember the woman who had the surgery and she had her near-death experience? And and that was wonderful. I would have never expected this person to have liked that book. You know, they were more traditional religion and everything. And and that was that was beautiful. So I devoured more near-death. I know several people who have had them and their experiences of that type of love that you can't even put words to, right? And I know through some plant medicine, people can access that. And yet, in truth, we don't need any of it. Who we really are can access that. But those tools may support us till we can believe that. Yeah, that near-death experience book, because she died and she experienced heaven. And yes. somehow we read that in that first week when he died and it blew our minds open that he was okay. He was fine. Like we, we were in a religion yes. that believed in heaven, but still you're, you're just reckoning with everything you believe when something big happens. And what is heaven? That was never really very clear to me. I kept saying, well, what is this heaven? What? Right. And so when people can, and, and, and I did see blips of this as a hospice nurse in the nineties, you know, people dying and they talk about, whoa, they see all this light. Some see Jesus. It didn't matter religion, you know, more, you know, other religions may see Buddha. They may see whatever. Um, and it was always the true essence of love beyond words and description that you just want to melt into it. And I've had where I've transcended into some of that where sometimes it's hard to come back and be in your body. An anchor in this heavy, dense world, you know, when you're going, oh my gosh, that's such a bliss. Can I stay there? Mm, how do I bring that bliss into this day to day, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, that's what's so interesting is that we were living prior to dad's death, we were living this kind of autopilot life where we mm -hmm. were living a life just based on how your parents lived it. And you believed all the beliefs that your parents had. And then this explosion came where your heart is literally smashed open and it's this reevaluating what do i know what do i believe and it's kind of like your life restarted when he died yes yeah yeah you can you know in in early years of loss a lot of people will equate everything to that day it was before his death or after his death yep it's yep. like a whole restart, right? And even though you're crumbled into pieces for a long time, but that's true. And um, I remember going to one of my first psychic things because of my experiences. I'm like, I need to understand this. And part of it was because I wanted to hang on to him. I didn't want to lose that connection. I couldn't imagine even, you know, even without his physical, I had this other connection. And so I went off to a Doreen Virtue event, you know, eight months after his death. And, um, and I remember coming home from that. And I was... I was so shaken because I went, what if everything I've swallowed, believed, and told, been told is not my truth anymore? That's scary. And I've witnessed you know, clients and people coming to those points through different things in their life and going, oh, wow, yeah, my old truth no longer fits. And, and truth is an ever-evolving. You know, my truth today may not be my truth tomorrow. And that's a big part of what I help people do is help them trust their truth, right? Trust your intuitive knowing, your soul guidance. Um, even if, yeah, at this moment, I didn't know there was barely anybody I could talk to about some of these things. I was reading another example of that intuitive knowing was at the end of 2007, 
I saw the flyer again from Minneapolis and I look at an ad and I saw two people and and they're advertising for their third book, Atlantean Revelations, Becoming a Mystic in a Nine to Five World. Well, that subtitle, Becoming a Mystic, caught my attention. I thought, I need to go see him, but I couldn't make it to Minneapolis that weekend. So I ordered the book. When I read that book, I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed. And I think it was much like the Anna books. I sobbed during those. And you go, this isn't just a emotional, this is like a deep soul recognition sob. I said, I don't understand anything this book is saying, but I know it's calling to me. I know it's opening something. And that was another big door opener um, for me, me working with my mentors who then helped me um, remember who I am and, you know, develop my medical intuitive, my clairvoyance and all of that much more. Yeah. The book she referenced is Anna, Grandmother of Jesus, which me and you both read. And it was a life-changing book for both of us because, I mean, we're mother-daughter and we come from that lineage. I mean, I just, Jesus is such a, I'm going to cry. <laughs> the, 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 the Magdalene Jesus lineage is something so strong in me. And yes, whenever yes. I come across a book or women that also resonate in the same way, it's just this. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, it's like we're home. <sighs> yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. And opening to other truths than maybe the ones that we were told again. And just possibilities. Wow, what if? Hmm, what if? You know, I kept asking. And and it just resonated that intuitive soul knowing this makes sense. Yeah. Also, though, with truths, your truths have changed, but uh, to a level, it's ego truths because. Once you've discovered your soul, your authentic self, the truth is the same. Unconditional love is what's real. Right. To that, that level of, I guess, what you're saying. And yet, even our level of consciousness will affect our level of truth. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. It's just, you know, 10 years ago, things I believed are different now. And I believe them to right. be true then. But I've always known capital T truth is that unconditional love is God. And that is the basis for everything. Right. And some of us had to work, have had a lot of unwinding of deep generational beliefs around God being a punishing God or a, uh, a, a judging God. Good, bad, right? And I see that in my, um, in my work, you know, as a medical intuitive and I scan people's energy. And when I see the crown chakra and a lot of congestion up there and especially off to the right tells me there's still a lot of dogmatic beliefs around religion. And if they're serving the person, fine. But if somebody's, you know, have a lot of health issues and they're wanting to release that, because how can we really feel safe if we're believing, you know, that I'm going to be judged everything? Yeah, that's that's a huge piece. And I, and I had to do a lot of work with the punishing God that takes away it's it's right. that God takes away, and I had to rewire it that no, it's not personal, like God doesn't you know take you take something away because you did something bad because in a lot of classic religion, it's very God is very much like the parents where there's good and there's bad, and you get rewarded for the good things and you get punished for the bad things, so we create God in this image of the parent, you know right he is the father, but 
it's just so humanized in the way we are raised as a child. And so then when we grow up as an adult, we kind of have this weird relationship with God that I get to ask God for things. And if I'm like good enough, I'll deserve them. Like, it's just, it's a huge topic. It is. Yes. Yes. You could spend a few podcasts on that. (laughs) I know. I know. Yeah. I just could say how it all ties to that sense of self-worth, you know, because we were told we're sinful and we're um, worthless, actually worthless. You know, there was that theme. And so to find our true sense of worth has been a journey. It's a big journey with, you know, some of the more rigid um, fundamentalist beliefs that just no longer fit for me. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of parents now are seeing these connections that, you know, conscious parenting, respectful parenting is a thing now because they see Mm -hmm. that we were all once authentic. We, as four-year-olds, we were just vibrantly authentic. We were just who we were, who God made us to be, our authentic self, our soul. Mm -hmm. And through the years of (laughs) parents that were on autopilot just because it was what it was, our authenticity was silenced because it was inconvenient for them. And this is what Gabor Mate talks about in all his talks, and I love it so much. A lot of us had that conditioning where our authentic self was silenced, and then we're in our 20s, 30s, 40s, refinding it. And that's a lot of our generation. But the conscious Mm -hmm. parents of now are doing so much work themselves so that hopefully their children don't have to lose their authentic self only to find it in their 40s. Right. And and in truth, you know, when I started on the um, consciousness journey a couple decades ago, um, most of the people go at the events I went to were just waking up. Yes, sometimes 40s, but 50s and 60s. Okay. You know, so it's it's a testament, you know, each generation doing the best they can to the level they can so that your generation now for the next, that evolution is 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 beautiful. Yeah. And for any of us, you know, looking back, you know, oh, I wish I would have been more conscious raising my babies. No, no, you know, you did the best you could. Always forgive, forgive, forgive yourself, just as my parents did the best they could. And what are the gifts we take forward? What are, you know, and... And I see now so many more of the beautiful um, essences that my mother and my father had that they gave to us. And, and yes, there's areas then that we want to bring in our own more conscious and do a little differently. And, and that's hopefully the cycle that goes on. 